So we are going through the book of Colossians, and today's scripture reading is Colossians 2, 1 through 7. Um, If you happen to have one of these handy-dandy pew Bibles, it's page 983. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all of the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mercy, mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll head into Colossians 2 here. Heavenly Father, we are um, thankful for the support of this community towards a loved one, how we've rallied to be in support of Jane. And uh, as we continue, Lord, may we be uh, perseverant and steadfast in our prayers and in our support to her. We're thankful that she's been able to start coming back, um, meeting with us, and being a part of our Sunday service planning, um, praying through scriptures and um, studying them with us to give us ideas as to the direction your Holy Spirit is leading us. Uh, We're thankful that she's part of our team. And we pray, Lord, for her healing. We ask God for a complete, miraculous healing from your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, A big part of why we are studying this letter from Paul to the Colossians is to remind us that Jesus Christ is the, the source. He is the origin of our faith and life. And we gathered from our study last week um, this uh, reminder that Jesus is indeed our source. He is our origin. And as we move into chapter 2, we'll start to read more about Paul's uh, heart and and his hope for the church. And this is something we need to keep in mind as we read this letter, that this was a heartfelt letter from Paul that he addressed to the Colossian church, that he deeply loved them, and, and we can sense his heart through this letter to them, he, he exposes kind of this struggle in verse 1. Let's, let's take a look at verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. The root word for the word uh, struggle in our English language in verse 1 is the same root word that we find in verse 29 of chapter 1, the, the same word there, struggle. And it's where we get our word agony or agonize. Paul agonized for them. He struggled for them. We struggle. We agonize for people whom we love. 
We struggle, we agonize because we care, we contest on behalf of people, just as many of you are contesting on behalf of Jane through your consistent prayer, through your financial support, through these words of encouragement. We, we stand in the way of injustice, and many of you are involved with wonderful works, whether that's a public school teacher or social work or working for various nonprofits or whatever you do for your work, you're standing against injustice, and it's naturally just part of your faith. We have many people who do wonderful works in this regard. We have this faith and justice team that has been prayerfully figuring out what is God calling us to as a church and regarding injustice and trying to figure these things out, that we are, as a church, on the front lines of this work of agony. We fight for people. We agonize for people. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. The word for fight is the same root word from Colossians chapter 1 and 2, agon, where we get agony, agonize, where we get the English words of those two things. We, we fight a spiritual fight, which is very, very significant. And when you think that you can do nothing for someone in the hospital or in another part of the country or the world, you absolutely can. You can contend on their behalf. You aren't able to be with them physically, but you can be with them in spirit and in heart. And Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verse 5, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Being with someone in spirit and in heart, that just knows no bounds. There's no boundary to it. Even when the person is, is no longer physically around, you know where their heart and their spirit is for you. And isn't that the most significant part of someone to have? Because wouldn't we rather have the spirit and the heart of someone more than having them physically with us? You know, the, the body is just a body, and, and you can see this in comparing healthy and unhealthy relationships. In unhealthy relationships, people can be in the same exact room, but still they're just complete strangers who are worlds apart. You can be in the same dining table and yet not know each other. And yet in healthy relationships, you can be on the other side of the world. And there's still this heart connection. There's still this spiritual intimacy. To, to have a physical and spiritual is, is the most ideal if you can have both of those things. But in, in our current moral, mortal existence, which is more transcendent, which is the more meaningful? Probably spiritual. It's, it's what we have with Jesus. We don't have him physically, but we can have him in spirit. And the Holy Spirit continues to live in us in this really dynamic way. And we have people who fight for us, fight for our church. And so how do we agonize? How do we struggle for people? Sometimes the only way we can fight for people is through prayer. And at other times we may be called to do something more than pray, but oftentimes all we can do is pray. This is what Epaphras does for the Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling 
on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. This is the primary responsibility of a church leader, to fight, to struggle in prayer for others. The Apostle Paul recognized the power of prayer for others and for himself. Romans chapter 15, verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That prayer is extremely vital. If we want to see any changes in ourselves, in others, in society, we have to pray. We must pray. Prayer will be a struggle. We will face opposition in prayer. Have you ever noticed why you start to pray and then you figure out that you just took a nap? It's always a struggle. There's always, or you start praying and then you start thinking about, like, who won the World Cup game? Or, like, you just start thinking different things. Whenever we walk in the Spirit, we will face opposition. This is just how things are in the spiritual world. We're facing opposition all the time. It's Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We have so many responsibilities. We have so many people whom we care about, so many issues and causes that we care about. We need to pray. The answers that we're looking for, the changes that we're seeking, they all need our prayer. And so the question, or a question for you this morning is, how's your prayer life? You know, we can have all this scheming, and we can have all this planning, and we can have all these agendas, but how often are we praying? Are we fighting? Are we struggling for others, for our communities, in prayer? And why was Paul struggling, fighting for the Colossians? Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. When speaking of the heart, it refers to the center of that person, of one's being, the core of who you are. Let's take a look at a proverb here and listen to what a few verses from Proverbs chapter 4 tell us. I'm just going to skip around here a little bit. Starting in verse 4, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. And then down to verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart down to 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. People tend to look more at the appearance of things. They tend to focus more on the optics of things. Yet God goes much deeper than just that appearance of things. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person's out, out person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. What we say, 
reveals who we really are. So do we speak critically of people? Do you have divisive speech? And our words speak much clearer and louder about our hearts, who we really are. Are our words encouraging? Do they give life? Do they give hope? And our words, they they reveal our heart. Paul desires to encourage the Colossians' hearts, to encourage the the core of who they are in Christ. Encouragement is is a really, really great thing. Jane shared about her jar and how she keeps that on her bedside table. Just curious, anybody like to be discouraged? You have your discouragement jar? You just, you have your... I'm, I'm actually um, sick in this sort of way. All those negative emails that I receive, I keep them. I keep them all. Just so that I can later praise the Lord to see like the miraculous things that are done after. After Paul wrote about encouraging their hearts, he wrote about being knit together in love being knit together in love, to be held together in love. We need to be united in love. Otherwise, we won't ever fully understand Christ. Something to ask yourself is, are you encouraging and are you knitting our community together in love? Or are you discouraging? Are you dividing our community? Let's be a place of encouragement a place that is knit together in love. You, you know who the encouragers are and you know who the not-so-encouraging are. You tend to like to be around those who are encouraging, don't you? We're, we're just people. We, we understand, like, okay, you're discouraging. I'm going to face this way. I'm going to go talk to this other person. So hopefully we're creating this loving, encouraging environment here at our church. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul wrote these things to the Colossians because people were being led astray. People slipped into false thinking because they accepted these these false teachings. And Paul reminded them that Christ is where they'd find full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. That if we are to discover all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, it will be found in Jesus Christ. What is understanding? Simply put, understanding is the ability to apply truth. What is wisdom? It's the knowledge of first things. It's the knowledge of first principles. And so what is knowledge? Knowledge is the power to grasp truth when we hear it, when we see it, when we sense it. And so in Jesus, we can have all of these things, understanding, wisdom, and knowledge. Verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The the Colossians were being misled by words that that pulled their their heartstrings, and and Paul warned them to, you know, examine truth. Don't be just led away by by your feelings. Don't be misled by by nice packaging or nice rhetoric or, or fast talk or any other captivating way of persuasion. Don't be pulled away by that. 
And it's really challenging not to be swept away by those things because media, for example, is very persuading. And you constantly get bombarded with things that kind of speak to you. And if you're not careful, you start getting charmed by it, kind of like a snake charmer charms a snake, and you start kind of like following that, wherever that flute is blowing. And yet we need to look deeper for truth, to, to dig deeper. We need to be cautious with what we're constantly being bombarded with and reason as to why we're getting the bombardment. Verse 5, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The words good order and firmness are actually military words. The church needs to be ordered, not chaotic. Things need to be done orderly. They need to be done firmly. The firmness is like a military formation that, that holds while it's under attack. And in order to withstand those attacks, there needs to be good order. There needs to be a firmness all grounded in Jesus Christ. Now, how do we ensure this progress of good order and firmness? Verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Here in verses 6 and 7, we find the emphasis of this letter to the Colossians. If we needed to point out a couple of verses just to summarize this, this letter, here it is, these two verses. In these two verses, we find that receiving Christ is not just for the end of life, but it's the beginning of an everlasting life. And you notice that these couple of verses, they're sandwiched here between Paul's warnings of being led astray in verses 4 and then 8. Now, verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, and then you're thrown in verses 6 and 7, and then it goes to verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Right in between 4 and 8 are these warnings 6 and 7. To be rooted in Jesus, to have a strong foundation built up in him, established in the faith. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to be preoccupied with, with what's wrong in the world. We just have to know what's true, what's right, what's good. Paul wrote in verse 6, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, this is the relationship to be experienced. It's not just read out of a, a book. It's to be lived. It's to be experienced. It is Jesus Christ who is received in your life. This is the beginning of a Christian's life to receive Christ Jesus as Lord. He is Lord. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In Jesus Christ... We have salvation. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life today? Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Salvation is for you today. And if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, Walk in him. You notice verse 7, how it's phrased in the past tense, rooted, built, established. 
just as you were taught. But before any of those things can happen, Jesus Christ must be Lord of your life. And we all receive Jesus Christ by grace through faith. And as we walk with Jesus, we walk by grace through faith. We don't live with Christ through our own strength. We live by grace through faith. And this doesn't mean that life with Christ is easy. What's easy in life that's worth living for, if anything at all? Like, think about whatever. And spiritual maturity is no different in that it, it takes effort. Paul wrote, so walk in him. It's, it's this lifelong journey that it's not this all-out sprint. It's a lifelong journey that we are to walk, that we are to keep going, keep moving forward, steady, just one step in front of the other, walking and enduring. Then Paul wrote in verse 7, rooted and built up in him. We have all these winds of life that are blowing. Sometimes they blow really strong, and, and when those winds come, we, we need to be very well rooted. Um, this past 4th of July, this, this past Wednesday, my family went to the lake, and um, we all jumped on this float because uh, there was this huge float that was on sale at Costco for 20 bucks. It had to, so my daughter, Sienna, said, Dad, can we get that? I was like, I really don't want to get that. She was like, Dad, it's $20. I was like, she knows like how cheap I am. She's like 20 bucks, you know. The other ones next to it were like 100, 200, like all these other fancy other floats. This one just was like $20. I was like, sure, let's get it. And we got it. We're at um, Twain Hart Lake, and, and so family piles in to this flotation device, and we're heading out. I have no intent on jumping in the water whatsoever. I just, I'll hang out in the float with you guys. And so we're hanging out, and my two older daughters are pulling us towards the middle of the lake, towards the dock, and we finally get there. And then they're all like, Dad, come jump in with us. Come in. I'm like, no, I don't want to jump in. I'm, the water's too cold, and, and for me, it's too cold. For other normal people, it's probably just fine. But for me, it's too cold. Anything above bathwater is too cold, <laughs> or below bathwater. And so I put my hat down, and I put my glasses in my hat, and I put it in the middle of the dock. And so we start jumping, I start jumping. And then my wife and my youngest four-year-old, they start floating away. And so they float away like, I don't know, 70 yards. And I'm like, oh, I should go get them and pull them back before. And my four-year-old's asleep now in this thing. And so it's not like Katie can do anything. So I swim out and then all my kids start swimming out too. And, and so all of us are swimming out towards this thing and the wind's blowing and I just see my hat going, across the dock. I'm like, my glasses! And so Isabella tries to turn around. She's swimming as fast as she can, and she's able to like grab the hat, but then the glasses just went down the middle of the lake. Hence, I got my old pair. So I can't see you as well. But um, so my glasses are in the bottom of Twain Heart somewhere. And um, I tried diving down there because I, I free dive. So I, I was like, yeah, I can do that, I can do that. And I asked the lifeguard, hey, how deep is it? And she was like, it's 12 feet. And I was like, oh, 12 feet, sure. I'm going down there, it's so murky, I can't see a thing, I'm just like, you know? And like, ah, I'm so frustrated, come up, I'm like almost dying, kind of, 
trying to hold my breath as long as I can. I'll go down again. I'm like, oh, oh, just feeling everything. Anyway, the winds of life. The winds of life. If you find my glasses down there, um, I will take you out to lunch. You can, we can talk about how you did it. And um, How often are we not rooted in Christ and we get blown wherever that wind takes us? And then bad things happen. Not so good things happen. Jesus said this about abiding in him. John chapter 15, starting in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That picture of being connected to Christ, rooted in Christ, and then this picture of being built up in him. Jesus Christ is our source. He's our foundation to be built up from. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. There are all sorts of things that can mislead us from God. And if we're not rooted in Jesus Christ to be the source of everything we are, if he's not the firm foundation of our faith, we will fall. Lastly, this phrase in verse 7, abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a sign of a maturing Christian. It is overflowing from them and, and for Jesus. You know, um, when I was in Twain Hardy, it reminded me of this pastor, uh, Joe Alamia, who's not with us anymore. But Joe was just absolutely incredible. I, I, I got a call from um, the senior pastor at Calvary Chapel, Sonora, to tell me to go visit the, his assistant pastor, Joe, at uh, UCSF because he had this um, flesh-eating disease. And so um, he was getting different parts of him amputated. And so I, I visit Joe, and at the time, I, I, I'd always bring an intern with me on these hospital visits. And... Um, We'd go and we'd start talking to Joe and, and Joe initially, like it was a foot and then it was like his leg and then it was like these fingers and it was like his whole hand and then it was his nose and then it was his ears. Like he just started losing all pieces of himself. Um, so this was a series of um, many months of surgeries and visiting him and um, every time I went, he would just share with me his thankfulness and I was like what like every time I come visit you you're like missing another piece of your body and I'd come away and those interns would just be like totally blessed because they'd he'd ask them 
hey, how are things going for you guys? Are, are you guys doing well? Are, are you being blessed by God? Like, what's God teaching you guys? You guys are reading all this material. With, and he'd be so encouraging, and he'd share how grateful he was to just be alive and thankful that he had another day that he could worship and encourage people and worship the hospital staff, uh, encourage the hospital staff to know Jesus, and he was just kind of that, that sort of a person. And so I, I remember visiting him um, whenever we, we went, went up to Twainheart until he died. And that very last time was him with a stub of an arm and not on, no other arm there and, and then no legs. And he was in this electronic wheelchair moving around and, and no nose, no ears, and, and just kind of going around and still just so happy and thankful for a simple visit, thankful for everything that was going on. A true sense of thankfulness for God just being God. The thankful isn't for what he received or didn't receive. It's all to God and it's for God. It's not for the gifts. It's to the giver of all gifts. To be aware of all that we have and who gives it. So our thankfulness is fixed on Jesus It's not fixed on something we have or something that we don't have. How is thanksgiving expressed? A huge way we show thanksgiving is time. Where where do we invest our time? Because we all put things or put time into things that we love. We, we, We do that, right? So a person who says that they love their family but you're never around them. Do you really love them? And so it needs to be consistent with time and your love and thankfulness for them. And if we are truly thankful to God, does our time with God reflect that? How much time do we invest into our relationship with God, into being alone with God in studying his word in in prayer, just being in God's presence with no agenda, but just to simply be with God, walking with God down a beach, or we have all these awesome trails up in the Oakland Hills. How often have you just kind of hung out with him? That's why I love what the women are doing when they head out to Stinson Beach. It's just time alone with God. There's really no agenda to the whole thing, except it's just time with God and Grace encouraging ladies to go about doing that. And during those times, may we abound in thanksgiving. How much time do you find yourself expressing thankfulness to God? Or is it just there telling God how terrible he is because he's not doing such and such or he's not addressing these things or whatever that may be? How much time of that is just the thankfulness that we're expressing to God for being who he is? Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful. We are thankful for who you are. You are so faithful, so full of love and grace and mercy to us. 
And we pray, God, that we would be encouraging people, that we would be people who are knitted in love, that we would persevere in our walk with you, that we would abound in thanksgiving. So many things that are going on in our life and things that can pull us away. And I pray that we would be firmly grounded in you, Jesus Christ. That when the winds of life come and they blow, that we would hold fast, that we would hold firm. In Jesus' name, amen.